0: This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and this week I'm talking with Victor Indrizzo. For quite a while now, Victor has been high on the list of busiest session players in L.A. He can be heard on countless records and movie soundtracks, has recorded with top artists such as Beck, Lizzo, Sheryl Crow, and Chris Cornell, and for about the last decade has been in the touring chair with Alanis Morissette. We would appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer, and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers, all useful and actionable lessons for the Working Pro. We're populating new content regularly, and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage at WorkingDrummer.net. While you're there, you can learn more about this episode and check out our archive of over 300 episodes. Also, please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, however you listen, please leave us a rating and review. This helps new listeners find us. Our Patreon content now features our recent guest, Pat Petrillo, discussing the recording of his version of Black Cow for his new record. We've also got lots of other drummers on that Patreon series, including Ash Stone and Will Kennedy talking about specific songs they've tracked drums for and all the technical and creative aspects of those recording processes. You can get access to this and the rest of our Patreon content for as little as $1 a month, so check that out. We'd really appreciate your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash working drummer. So I enjoyed getting to know Victor a little bit. He is a sweet dude and definitely someone who has stayed busy by staying curious, staying humble, staying creative, and staying himself. So let's get to it with Victor Indrizzo. If you see me like looking down and staring at my phone it's because I just have a couple of notes and questions and whatever. So if it feels like I'm not paying attention to you, uh just keep, keep It'll talking. just
1: be like my teenage children so. <laughs> right. I'm you're used to it. Yeah, yeah, you're
0: used to just being completely disregarded. Yeah. Oh man,
1: how old are your kids? I have well, my oldest is 31 uh and then I have uh 15, 16, 17 in the house. Whoa. How's that going? <laughs> oh man, it's. Uh, I used to have hair. To have hair.
0: There's some. There's some hanging on.
1: Yeah, cool. it's you know it, it's it's a lot of things. Do you have kids? No, no. It's a lot of things. It's like the best and the hardest all at the same time.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Like it, like most that, things.
0: It's kind of my my overall impression of becoming a parent is that like. What, whatever your highs and lows are before, like both just go to extremes. Um, 100%. 100%. Yeah. But yeah.
1: but there's something great about uh, very humbling, the humility, because you are not, it's not about you anymore. Yeah. It's like you are of service to these people and all the things they have. And that's why at this point, you know, I have uh one of the teens is driving, but the other two are not. So I'm just like uh, I'm really like a, a, a an unpaid Uber driver, really at this point. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, well, I I wasn't sure where I wanted
0: to start off with you, but but that's as good a place as any. Like how how has being a parent sort of affected your um you know musical and professional ambition? Because you know what what we do is generally uh, pretty (laughs) self-indulgent just by nature, like becoming an artist, um, becoming a musician. So how has that gone for you?
1: Yeah. It's interesting because I've been a parent since I was 23 years old. Right. So I, it definitely lit a fire under me to like try and, you know, to be able to make a living to support my family. Uh, and, uh, Yeah. So whereas I felt like there were a lot of guys that could say no to jobs, I never said no, right? That my my thing was, yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and that that kind of paid off in a lot of different ways. Because you never know, you might take some gig, uh, or a session or something that's really you're like, man, this music is terrible. Uh, There's nothing I like about this. But then you meet an engineer. Or you meet a producer, and then that guy ends up hiring you for something that's actually really great, or right. tells other people about you, and it's like I've had that happen so many times uh, through the years that I, I'm kind of grateful. Yeah, it's that it, it adds a little bit more stress when you're when you're thinking about like you know supporting a family and and always needing to make so much money. Right. And all of that stuff. But, uh, and then also hard when you tour to be away from them. Mm-hmm. Right. But luckily, like these days, you know, if I tour, it's during the summer and they'll right. come out and visit and stuff. So it's much easier now. Right. And is that mostly with Alanis these days?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So she's just like a summer gig. That's
1: <laughs> yeah. She has she has kids. Uh, mm-hmm. All the whole band, everybody's got kids, and it's right. we've had the same lineup now for I think over ten years. Wow. Uh, so it's really like a family, and everybody's kids are welcome, and it's uh, it's pretty fun.
0: Yeah, pretty yeah.
1: lucky. Um, so.
0: In terms of like the the necessity of just like saying yes to everything, you know, we've we've talked a lot about how, especially when you're young, um, you you can and should say yes to everything, just in the interest of gaining experience and forming those relationships, like you mentioned. Um, but you know, from the perspective of a 23 year old new father, like. I would imagine like you said it's it's not about you. You were saying yes just to like make money and take care of this kid and whatever <laughs> whatever yeah. professional benefits resulted from that were were sort of secondary to the the immediate need.
1: Yeah. Though I also did lo- I and do love playing. And so I was pretty excited anytime anybody wanted to have me play. I was I was pretty game
0: for it. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of um uh, when Jack Nicholson was filming *A Few Good Men*, um, like he he filmed his whole "You Can't Handle the Truth" scene, and then it was time to do the other shot, like Tom Cruise's shots, and uh, Nicholson was still just going like all out uh, during Tom Cruise's takes, and somebody went over to him and was like, "Jack, like these are for these are for Tom. Like you don't have to go balls to the wall." And Nicholson was like,
1: "I just love to act." <laughs> it's great yeah Yeah, i mean that's the that's the thing it's like to get to play drums for a living is uh pretty incredible Mm -hmm. and there are things that i you know i'm i'm an old guy now i'm 55 years old and sometimes i've had to there have been moments where i have to remind myself uh why i'm doing this or why i got inspired to do or why i wanted to do this and and even, it's funny, recently, when I, uh, I don't know, how old are you? 42. 42, yeah. So you're a little bit younger than me. Mm-hmm. But when I, when I was a, a kid, like like 8 to 10, I loved Kiss. And <laughs> Kiss had these little bubblegum cards. And I remember staring at the cards and, you know, dreaming of playing drums. And so I recently on eBay just bought some Kiss cards and put them around my studio and Man. it's just something that gives me that feeling of when i was a kid and i was dreaming because you know you can get bogged down in the in the work aspect of it and mm-hmm. if you forget the love of it it's that's going to seep into your play so yeah. i always try to remind myself that i that i love doing it
0: yeah yeah and it's it's a good reminder also to you know, I I think we all we all have uh, a certain amount of love for just playing drums um, in any context. But as I'm hearing you talk, I'm realizing that um, the the times that I love playing drums the most is when I'm playing music that I love. It's not necessarily about the drums. It's about that music that I love.
1: Yeah. And that, you know, depending what area you go into, You know, if you're, I guess it would happen in both touring or a session guide. You're going to plan some stuff that you don't love. But to me, the trick is to find the beauty in it, find what somebody is passionate about so that you're not the jaded person sitting there coming at it from like, "Ah, I could be doing something better right now. But you find the heart of something so that you could give your heart to it. And I think that that comes across. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but. Yeah, no, I, it
0: definitely does, I think, um, especially to the people you're playing with. Um, and yeah. like, are, are you like me in that you've uh, found it a struggle sometimes to, to not be that guy? Yeah. <laughs> on the oh, game.
1: absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And, and it, there's like, you just, you know, that's why I'm constantly reminding myself because yeah, you're not always going to do things that you love or play on music that you love playing, but but you love playing. Right, right. And if you want to keep working and keep doing these things, that's just all part of it. And yeah. Yeah, for me to stay sane, I have to keep reminding myself. And hence the, you know, the Peter Chris cards around my studio or whatever it is for anybody, you know. Yeah, so, in
0: terms of like saying yes to all the gigs, at at what point in your career um, were, did you start um, sort of narrowing your focus and uh, you know being able to say no to some stuff that you were less interested in and pursue the music or the situations uh, that you were really passionate about?
1: Uh, it's it's been different at different times. Sure, you know if I was, you know if I'm if I was super busy. And it was something i didn't really want to do or i thought maybe the pay wasn't up to what i needed it to be that i i could say no or there were definitely many tours i priced myself out of i would ask for a ridiculous amount of money and i was like oh they say yes to that great and if they don't i don't really want it anyways right Uh, and then also there's the thing of knowing when you might not be right for something yep you know and i just God, I just had it literally last week.
0: Hmm. I had,
1: I got a call for a movie session. uh, And now mind you, I'm not a school drummer, but I did learn how to read uh, late in life, probably in my forties, early forties, Wow, Uh, late thirties, early forties, because I was getting calls for, from composers all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I need to figure this out. Uh, And for the most part, I'm a, I'm a, I'm okay. Reader. But uh, I got they, this. This was last week, and they they sent me the charts, which normally they don't even do. But they sent the charts at about eight o'clock at night. So I open the charts, I take a look, and I'm looking at it. it's double bass, odd times all over. The, I'm like, I can't do this. Like I started having a panic attack. And I'm like, I am not the right guy for this. And right. so th- I called the composer, and I I called somebody I knew who could do it, uh, and then pass the job along instead of holding up the session because I knew
0: I was the wrong person for the job. Right. Right. Now I'm, I'm dying to know who you passed it to.
1: Uh, I passed it to Jake Reed. Really? I think it, yeah, Man, that's great. <laughs> and it's funny. And it, what made me think of him is I saw him, uh, at a studio and he had a, a double bass pedal and he, mm-hmm. was, I was like, Oh, you're, you play double bass. I had no idea. I wouldn't normally think of that for him. And I know that he's a fantastic reader. Yeah. And yeah. so I was like, that's the guy.
0: Right there. Man, that's awesome. What a guy. He can he can really play anything. He's one of those guys is, that just he can yeah. fucking do anything.
1: <laughs> he he is fantastic and, and and sadly I am not that guy. I, mean, I have <laughs> I have my lane. I know what my lane is and like, you know. Yeah. But yeah sometimes yeah and it, you know that it's it's stung a little bit knowing that like I couldn't do that and I you know I really wanted to do that job but I was like ah, the right thing was to give it to somebody that I know could could pull it off.
0: Yeah and I think it it takes a certain level of maturity and self-awareness uh, to do that because I think a, a younger drummer um, particularly one who needs the money would, try and take a run at that (laughs) and, you know, maybe, maybe succeed, but, but maybe not. Um, but yeah, at a certain point you realize like, I am not the guy you need for this. (laughs) Here's the guy you need for this. Yeah. Um, so in terms of, uh, touring versus recording, I, I would imagine that, um, you know, the, the pandemic sort of affected that calculus for you. Um, and you mentioned that, uh, pretty much the summertime is, is the, the Alanis touring time. Um, but taking your career as a whole, um, how do you think about, you know, the, the, basically the fulfillment aspect or kind of, you you know, you mentioned your lane, um, how does touring versus recording sort of fulfill you in different ways and and what's, what's been that calculus for you?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I've been, Pretty lucky in the fact that I would say generally you're one or the other. uh, And I've been very lucky to be able to do both. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's part of me, if I had to pick, I'd pick recording. Mm -hmm. uh, Just because the variety that you get, you never know what's coming. I I feel like it's a chance to be creative. Uh, But then also, if I solely Just did recording, I think I would probably lose my mind the same way if I was just a touring guy, I'd probably lose my mind. So there's something beautiful and interaction live where you're having like this interplay, not only with people you're playing with, but an audience. But yeah, recording is it's my favorite. Yeah, yeah, it really is my favorite. How you you have a, a home studio, correct? i do now you know for many years i actually had like proper studios uh, had a handful of them uh, and the last one being i had with uh bass player sean hurley yeah, and an engineer mm-hmm. chris stefan we we had we had a place for i don't know a lot of years and so it was very uh jarring when the pandemic hit yeah. to then all of a sudden be at home and i real i was realizing that wow i hadn't had to record myself ever really, <laughs> like i I knew some things, you know, and i I definitely always paid attention to what engineers were doing, how they were doing it, how I liked the sound of what one guy did versus another uh, and yeah, luckily with the pandemic, I had time to study and yeah. luckily i had I had gear that I could bring home and set up and do it, and now I really love it now I can't imagine really you know paying rent for a uh, studio and all the things that, that that entails, you know, there's always gear going, you know, South and, right, you know, they're kind of, it's, it's kind of a money pit, but um, yeah, I love like just being able to do stuff at home and, you know, through the course of the last two years, I've been able to get things to sound the way I like them to sound. Right. Which is, and, and it's very empowering uh, figuring that stuff out.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was talking with um, Matt Starr a few weeks ago, and and by the way, thank you, Matt, for making this happen because he was he was the one that made the intros here. Um, <laughs> but we were talking about how so many drummers, especially since the pandemic, um, have figured out the recording thing at home or or in their own space, and um, you know, they they might not be getting sounds. Well, they are not getting sounds that are the same as what comes out of, you know, capital B or <laughs> Ocean Way yeah. or like, you know, one of these with a huge room and all that. But there's there's an intimacy and a knowledge to what, you know, you're doing in your room with your drums and your mics and your playing. Um, and I think it's becoming more and more of a thing for uh, a drummer's. Um, I hate to use the word brand, but overall, you know, vibe to be sort of, um, coupled or synonymous with the space they're in, like defined by the space they're in. Right. Like you, you think about some of the studio greats, like, um, you know, Cal or any of like, you know, guys who have made a living going to the big studios to play. Um, and they're, they're defined by their playing in those studios. They're not defined by being their own engineer and working in their own space and things like that. Um, So it, it feels like your career kind of straddled both of those areas where it's, you know, it started out like you're, you're a hired guy going into other studios. And now over the last few years, you're kind of really honing what you want to do in your space.
1: Yeah. And you know, the, the thing that's exciting about that is like, if you have a sound in mind that how you want things to sound.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah.
1: And the funny part now is sometimes going, so I still do a lot of outside sessions and then going and working with an engineer and you're like, Oh man, maybe I could make this sound better right now. <laughs> or I know, you know, and you can't yeah. really, it's not your place to say anything and they, you know, but then also still learning. And I, I, I think that is the overall lesson for me with everything, with with the drums, with recording, with being a, a parent, with being a husband. Everything in life is to always be a student. Mm-hmm. I think the moment you think you have everything sussed out, you're fucked. <laughs> right? You really it's <laughs> always about trying to learn something new and keep growing right because this, when you stop doing that in any area of your life like I good.
0: yeah yeah matt and i were also talking about how um you know be because of the expertise that so many drummers are gaining in their own spaces as engineers um there's now often an opportunity for you know whether it's a live gig or a, a studio gig that's outside your space there's you know the potential for um drummers and sound engineers to be real partners um yeah in instead like you know most drummers i think in years past like they defer to the engineer right whether it's mic placement or mix or any of that but like we have some expertise now we can kind of be a participant in this conversation and it's not always possible With, with the right person in the right situation it it can definitely be a dialogue and a partnership have you have you found that
1: for sure especially uh in live settings and then there's some engineers that are super gracious like that where they are open to your ideas or what do you think i think the thing is to you know navigate and have a sense uh of when that's cool to do and when not and where that line is and that's it's funny that's something that i wish could be taught and I think about even sessions, right? It's like learning how to read a room, yep. right? Learning how, you know, what what your place is. And I, I think I was lucky at the time I was coming up, there were so many sessions, yeah. so many things going on. And I was also the kind of guy that I was uh, more introverted and more observant. And I would watch how things were done and how things were going on. How do you act at set watch? I would just watch people. And I was like, okay, I think I have this kind of sussed out. And I know when I can ask like, Hey, why are you putting this here? What do you think if we put the mic here or, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. You, ha- you have to know when you can do that because if you don't, that could be bad too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and it's fun with so- certain sound guys. They're super open to it and they want to talk about it. And, and usually, you know, like, uh, I'm not only concerned with the drums, I'm concerned with the thing, the music as a whole, where everything sits and how that feels. And some guys are amazing at and receptive to like, you know, they want to know, and there, there can be a dialogue and then other people, they don't, not so much. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I
0: mean, you, you mentioned just like a simple question, like, why are you putting that mic there? Um, yeah. And that, like you know, that could be put so many different ways, and that could be taken so many different ways, and you've got to yeah. be super careful about how you put that, who you put it to, and um, yeah. why you say it, because it could be easily construed as like I think you're doing that wrong, instead yeah. of uh, instead of like educate me. What well, like why are you doing it this way? I want to know. Um,
1: yeah. Uh, because I, that's the beautiful thing about music in general right like you know are there rules yes but the rules are also can be broken right and there's like many things that you can do and experiment with and get uh a different result and, and again that thing of like if you have a student's mind and you're open to things i just think things work out generally better yeah for sure <laughs>
0: what um, sort of uh, concepts or sounds or ideas are you uh, wrestling with and and pursuing in the studio right now?
1: I think, you know, in the last handful of years, it's like there's a lot of programming going on, right? And Mm -hmm. a lot of, especially, you know, if you're uh, a session person, a lot of the things you're being hired for are more, maybe more pop music. So you're dealing with things that are programmed and that, you know, in the early 2000s late 90s when all the stuff first started it was like uh the loop is the verse and then the real guy comes in on the chorus right and it's very right. apparent that it's like real drums and now that's not really the case anymore like people want it to sound more programmed and the sounds to be you know that's the to be tight mm-hmm. right or really uh very drum machiney. and so like i i just You know, I I think I grew up pretty poor and I always had the shittiest stuff, (laughs) the worst shit. Uh, And in a way, that was the best gift I could have ever had because it made me like experiment with getting different kinds of sounds Mm -hmm. uh, or even using things. I just uh, I have a symbol right now that's like one that I grew up with that's like, It's just the worst, (laughs) but it's the best, right? right? It's, and, you know, or even, you know, it's, it's very popular now to like stack symbols and do that sort of thing. But I was doing that as a kid because I had two broken symbols. So I was like, how can I make this sound like something? Right. Uh, And just using different kinds of things that sound that will suit the programming, right? So I'm always in pursuit of that, basically,
0: talk about that some more like so it it sounds like the um you know the the line between program drums and acoustic drums is all but disappeared um yeah so are are you talking about sort of fitting fitting your sound into what's already there
1: yeah that and then also maybe trying to cop a sound that like sounds like it was it was programmed and so i'll use uh i started getting like goat Skins, mm-hmm. they're like kick drums, yeah. Uh, and then taking the front head off and leaving it wide open it sounds like an eight away, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, concert toms, but then like with a lot of you know schmutz on them, like uh, tape or towels or whatever, so that you have that kind of sound. Yeah, you know, funky cymbals or like stuff like that. I got one of these. I I tracked down one of these really. They're hard to find. They're called a Remo TSS pad mm-hmm. and it's like a marching snare drum like almost like a practice pad. Yeah I know what which you're talking is a really, about. Yeah. yeah and they're like really expensive now I have <laughs> got one many years ago that I've seen them go for like a thousand bucks Jesus, uh, but just things like that where you come up with odd, oddball things I, I mean now you know I see guys on social media doing really crazy stuff uh, but figuring out things that you can get to pretty quick in the studio right? yeah because or having a good idea of when you hear something how to achieve it uh and for years i would use like uh practice pads uh for almost like a hand clap sound i would mm-hmm. play them flammed double track them pan them out and it would just have this really cool sound yeah uh, there's all kinds of the the guys the the bald man guys make those junk hats are really great and then make this other thing the stank foot uh, that you know has a really cool sound to it it's just trying to figure out different things and different kinds of shakers like I make my own shakers I have I have some I make them from uh, moon gel oh wow yeah the little moon gel case yeah and I'll put stuff in them different kinds of things different weights and then you can play accents with your hand, right
0: Oh, yeah, like opening your hand up? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Just stuff like that. You know, I, I think, you know, everything is a drum. And if you I, – I think the world's changed, too, because also when I first started doing sessions many years ago – the drummer was the drummer, and then they would have a percussion player come in and play percussion. It was they right. were two completely separate worlds, and you didn't really want to step on the other guy's toes, mm-hmm. but then, as budgets changed or they didn't want to hire as many guys, you all of a sudden were like, "Oh, you're gonna play the tambourine and the shaker and do these things and so, yeah, yeah, I was trying to just figure out a way, yeah, to find my own voice, and I think. That's what's important if you're a young guy now. I can't even imagine. I think about this all the time, where if I was coming up now and I was scrolling through social media and I'm seeing all these drummers just doing this this amazing shit, yeah. you know, I would be so intimidated. I would be so scared to do stuff. And, and I'll tell you this. I, I felt that way even without social media. Me too. But I loved playing so much that I just did it anyways. Yep. Right. Yep. And so what's important is to find your own voice. And we all have our own voice, no matter what level you're at. Um, uh, and just find that thing that you, you, your voice, Yeah. you know, we're all unique. We all have a, uh, something to give to music and, uh, it's the most beautiful expression of like emotions that are unexpressible by words. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, Find your thing, find what that is, uh, and that's your value, right? Right, you know, you don't and have to be the chops guy, you know,
0: yeah, nobody has to be the chops guy, really. Does nobody has have to be, be-
1: <laughs> yeah, you don't really have to be. I mean, it's fun to look at, it's, yeah. it's, it's always very impressive, but yeah, the, the, the idea
0: of finding your voice, um, sounds uh just so daunting and so huge, uh, I, and, and so sort of vague, uh, I, I would imagine, especially mm. to a, to a young drummer. Um, but I, I think I, it goes back to what you said about like, uh, the, the music and the kind of drumming that just like turns you on that, you know, that you that's fall exactly in love right. with. And it might be that's derivative. Like it, right. it, it might be when you're young, um, like just being a carbon copy of someone else for a while, but yeah, that, that ends up being part of what becomes your voice and your identity. Yes.
1: And th- this was the beautiful thing pre-internet, right? Because now if I want to figure out a Steve Gadlick or something, I can look it up on the internet and I can watch somebody do it exactly, or I can watch him do it exactly. Right. Yeah. Whereas before you could see it, look at the sticking you had to listen and figure it out and maybe yeah. you figured it out wrong maybe you came up with your own way to interpret that and that is also part of your voice so it's like right i think maybe stop watching so much and just use your ears yeah maybe yeah. i mean it's also look i i want to i want to see how it's done too sometimes but yeah but I think that's a thing that we might be a skill set that we're like you know ignoring. It's like use your ears. Yep, I totally Let it be agree. wrong. I totally agree, <laughs> and it, like
0: that's it. It it applies to so many different areas of what you're doing because obviously like what you're talking about, but in the studio, um, you know, uh, I think. Uh, Kurt Piscara talks about like listening with your eyes and how everybody is listening with their eyes yeah. right now. Like they're staring at a screen, they're looking at EQs and plugins and shit um, yeah. and, and kind of painting by numbers and not actually using their fucking ears. Um, yeah. uh, but also in, in my journey in the studio, like in my little studio at home um, you mentioned like, you know, trying to figure something out and not getting there, but arriving at something else. Like yeah. that's happened to me so many times in the studio where I've been going after a certain sound and for whatever reason I missed the mark, but where I ended up was like, Oh shit, this is a thing too. I'm going to file this away.
1: Yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little trick that I learned and I learned this trick from watching a uh, Tim Pierce guitar player. Mm-hmm. Right. So Tim Pierce, whenever he is going to overdub or record something, he wants to start with the chorus because if you get the chorus, Everything else is cake, right? It's easy, right? You gotta you have to get that money course. So something fun to do or to try, you know, as as drummers, and this also comes in with the programming thing, right? Because in modern pop music, we're not they're not using symbols as much, mm-hmm. right? You're hearing very tight sounds. They're not, you know, splashing on the on the ride or like even sometimes the hi hats are still tight during the chorus, right? So it used to be that music was really the drums were defining and and telephoning you and telegraphing each section, right? Mm -hmm. Here's a symbol for the pre-chorus. Here's this. Now I'm going to go real big right here, right? Which is cool, has its place, but a neat trick is to uh, let other things. Right. For instance, a shaker. Right. So maybe you can lay down this linear groove. Like this is a a cool experiment. Play a linear groove all the way through the song. Right. The dynamic stays the same. The Mm -hmm. whole thing. And then try to make the chorus exciting with percussion, with different things, with some shakers, with hitting a coffee cup. You know, uh, what you know, whatever, like uh, practice pads on two and four, things that all of a sudden let you know the course is here, but the, the but the kit remained linear. You yeah. Know? Just learning how to stack with yourself and overdub is like a pretty pretty great trick, like for if you want to record.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that like I'm I'm thinking about so many pop songs, like when I when I first started doing. You know, cover gigs, top 40 gigs, corporate gigs, whatever, and and just learning, you know, the the canon of (laughs) all those pop rock songs. It blew me away how uh, how often what I thought happened in the drum part did not actually happen. Like, yeah. I assume we move to ride cymbal on the chorus, but wait, actually, no, it's the exact same thing yeah. <laughs> as the verse. And what makes the chorus feel big is, like you said, some extra percussion or some backing vocals or a different yeah. guitar tone or whatever. Um, yeah, like, it It goes to another common theme we've talked about is that, like, you, you don't have to do everything, whether it's tonally yeah. or uh, content-wise in terms of, like, the rhythms or the subdivisions you play, like... Um, you know, the, um, in, in so many, uh, like Prince songs, they sound really busy. There's like a lot of 16th note activity. And in my younger years, I assumed that the drum part was just like full of 16th notes. And when I dug into it, it was like, Doon, dot, dun, dot. and the 16th yeah. notes were everywhere else, but the drum part.
1: <laughs> yeah. Leaving space so that other things could happen. So did
0: this, uh. Sort of overall idea inform how you approached um creating your sample pack uh
1: yeah, and the, and just also I think at that time, I think the sample pack it was just like getting sounds like uh trying to get weird sounds, yeah, you know, and do stuff, and that, I was still like learning stuff, I need to do another one because I'm pretty sure I could do it better at this point. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, a little bit of that, like uh, just things that I found, I found useful.
0: Yeah, and I mean, a lot of a lot of drummers are putting together sample packs, whether whether they're a huge name or sort of relatively anonymous. Yeah. It, it seems like that's becoming kind of a calling card for a lot of drummers. Um, how how long ago was it that you did yours?
1: I think I did mine during the pandemic because it was something I had thought about doing for a long time. I just didn't have the time to do it And then. 2020, all of a sudden, I had a whole lot of time on my hands. Right. Okay. So, there like was everybody else had. Yeah. There
0: was the time to do it aspect, but uh, w- like, what about it was an attractive idea to you? What about it uh, made you say, like, yes, that's something I sh- can and should do?
1: I think, uh, right, you know, the Yurt Rock Company mm-hmm. right, made it very easy. He just made it so, like, hey, here, here you send me this stuff, and I'll do all the slicing up, and I'll do. He he did a lot of the the heavy lifting after, and that that was appealing to me. And I I did do another sample thing, a really cool thing for Melodyne that hasn't come out yet, hmm. uh, which is really going to be quite crazy. <laughs> uh, where it's, uh, I think they're still figuring out some things, but basically it will work as an app. In your uh, uh, your DAW, your in Pro Tools, Logic, whatever, you would open this up, and you would be able to have different session players play to your song. Wow! Basically, it's pretty crazy, and a lot of different styles and different sounds and percussion, yeah. and it will. It's pretty. It's pretty mind bending. So it's what,
0: not. It's not a sample pack. It's more of a sample plugin.
1: Pretty much. Yeah. I wow. think that that's how it is. And it's, you know, I think they're still working out some of the bugs with it, but when it, when it comes out, it will destroy the careers of many session players. <laughs> <laughs> Send your emails to Victor. Yeah. I'm going to start my GoFundMe page. Yeah. Yeah, please.
0: Oh man. So whether it was that project or, or your, uh, your original sample pack, um, did you kind of look at the sample pack landscape and say, okay, where are the holes in it and how can I fill those? Or were you more? Yeah, just, because gonna-
1: there was an, there's enough, you know, like, gen- not generic, but generic. Like there's like, here's drums, kicks there, all this, like that's, that's great. And there's tons of it, but yeah, I wanted to do something that just sounded a little different. Right. Uh, it was a little more fucked up sounding and, uh, and then have really, I think the thing at this point that might make some of my stuff a little different is the percussion stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just because I think that's going to be useful to people. There are a million kicks and snares and stuff like that out there, mm-hmm. but it's like the other stuff that can make, make a track unique or like, you know, who are the people that are going to be using it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And and really, it's like a lot of laptop kids, as I call them, these producers that are like programming all this stuff. And so, you know, they're not necessarily looking for a normal kick and snare sound, mm-hmm. you know, maybe something more distorted or, or, or fucked up. And then really, it's about the things around it. Percussion, I I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like, you know, not unlike your um, sort of the, the way you go about your career as a player, as a hired you know player in a live situation or a studio um you know your sample pack is is not gonna be universally useful to everyone yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's gonna be, it's gonna be useful to people who want that thing,
1: yeah, yeah, people that are like fucked up shot stuff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> when I was talking with Matt uh, a few weeks ago, he, he counted you as, uh, you know, one of the handful of people who has, um, you know, been kind of a support system to him over his time in LA um, and talked about how, you know, you, you want to create relationships with people who, um, even if they're doing something way bigger and cooler than you, they don't make you feel like what you're doing is is any less worthy or any less, uh, you know, useful a pursuit. Um, and and he talked that way about you. Um, I'm wondering who those people have been for you.
1: You know, I, what's sad is that I didn't really take advantage as a younger man of the guys that were still in town or around. I just didn't even think I revered the guys, you know, whoever it was, all the session greats as they were like these gods and they were unreachable and unattainable. Mm -hmm. And then it's funny because, you know, I'm friends with Kurt Buscara and he tells these stories of hanging out with Jeff Picaro and him being a great mentor. And I would have never in a million years thought to do that because I just, I, I don't know, they were on some other plane, right? right. And yeah. now it's interesting because now with uh, social media, like everybody's reachable, you can talk to anybody. And, and and I think that's great. Like I think, talk to people. And I, I, I love the drum community for that, that like the, the drum community seems less competitive mm-hmm. than maybe like guitar players or bass, I don't know how bass players are really, but uh yeah, that we're down to help each other or down to like, you know, you know, f- help figure out stuff. Uh, and I think I figured that out more honestly, like as as I got a little bit older, and I, I'm a recovery guy, I've been in recovery a long time, and it's all about that thing of community and passing on knowledge and helping each other out.
0: Yeah, And yeah.
1: so when I when I've met, other players you know it's like i just we just talk and like help each other out because there's no there's no handbook on a lot of this stuff and so then you're like man how do i ask about getting paid how do i you know how do i record how do i get a gig how do i do this how do i do that right there's you know there's no one answer for any of this stuff and that's generally like a lot of guys will write me or call me and talk to me about how do i get into sessions man, I don't know. You just got to play. You just got to record yourself. You got to play on people's demos. You got to hope you meet, you know, an engineer. I didn't. And and even still to this day, there's nobody that I call up and go, hey, you know, I want to work today. Hey, can you hire me? (laughs) The phone just has to magically ring, right? Yeah, yeah. And it just has to magically happen. And that just happens from you doing a bunch of things, right? Uh, And playing and meeting people. And, And also, I'll say this. I have always been the worst. I'm not a network guy. I'm yep. a super introvert. Me I too. don't ever go to the drum parties. I don't do all these things that I'm supposed to do, Yep. but I've been able to work. And so there's hope for the introverted. Uh, <laughs> there is. If you just show up, do what you do, you know, do your best, uh, show up early, always yep. be early, you know be early be helpful be prepared be you know kind yeah. be you know yeah kind
0: man and, and those those last three things like you know being helpful being prepared and being kind don't really require you to be extroverted like if if yeah. you're an, if you're an introvert that's fine but um I mean, I am too. And I think most drummers are We've talked on the podcast about how I think most drummers are are introverts and some of us learn how to do a good extrovert impression. Um, right. But yeah, being being prepared, being kind. What was the third one? I've forgotten them already.
1: <laughs> yeah, be be on time. Like be yeah. early. Like always be right. Yeah. That was one of the most important things I learned when I first started doing sessions is like. I remember even showing up a half hour early and there were already guitar players in their seat and they're already getting some I was like, "Oh man, I need to be here an hour early at mm-hmm. least." Mm-hmm. Like always don't, you know, don't let anybody be waiting on you. Don't have anybody waiting on
0: you. Sure, and I mean that's beneficial for for me anyway. That's beneficial in more than one way because obviously if you're super early, then everybody around you sees like, "Oh wow, he's here already." Like, you know, he's he's ready yeah. to go. But internally for me, just like not being in a rush, not being stressed out, having time yeah. to just kind of acclimate to whatever room or situation you're in and just get the lay of the land. Not everybody needs that time. I know people who just show up like, you know, a minute before the thing and go yeah. and, they're, and they're fine. But I I don't change gears that quickly. And given myself that extra time to just acclimate, get my feet on the ground and get
1: ready yeah. to play. And then people know. Benefits. Yeah. And they know. Man, if I hire Zach Zach's always he he's reliable he's right he's gonna be here he's gonna he's gonna be ready to do this the job and like you know that that's super important, yeah, it's amazing how many people don't know that or when you're first starting out that mm-hmm. they think they could be fifteen minutes late or like you know it's like no man, yeah,
0: no, yeah. I mean, like, aside from the fact that it's a terrible look, I don't know why anybody would want to do that to themselves. Yeah. <laughs> like being yeah. late, being unprepared, being stressed out, just fucks with me so hard. I will avoid it at all costs. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: so you're up in you're in Oregon.
0: Um, I'm I'm in Spokane right now because uh-huh. I'm on tour um, with this uh, with this Broadway show, Ain't Too Proud.
1: Which is how the, fun is that? That must yeah, be really fun.
0: It's The Temptations musical. It's it's a blast. It's just, you know, some of the best songs ever written every night.
1: Can I ask you some questions? Of course. Okay. So, how is that when you have to play and do you have to play exactly the same things as written every night and how what's the amount of leeway you're given?
0: Um, I have a bit of leeway Um, mainly with, uh, like certain fills and certain moments and, you know, the way I sort of set up certain phrases, um, there is a handful of those, uh, in the show. Um, and I think that, you know, both the band and the cast are adaptable enough that, you know, they're, they're open to a number of different ways to approach that moment. Um in terms of the grooves of, you know, like this, the, the show is written out note for note. Um, yeah. And like I said, there are certain fills, certain moments where I have liberty to, to go off book. Um, but most of it is like, no, play this. Yeah. Um, and in most cases, it's it's something that I'm perfectly happy to play and, you know, not, yeah. not anything that I disagree with in every, any way and something that's in my wheelhouse that I can make feel good and, you know, it's it's an agreeable situation. Um, but I've, I've been on the gig a little less than three months um, and with any, like I've done a ton of musicals over the years but never one for this long and, you know, the longer you do it, um, the more little tiny moments you find, or little tiny ways to make it your own, um, and it could be about like one open hi hat here. It could be about something you know big and overarching, like the tones of the drums. Like over over time, right. I've I've sort of um, altered the tones that the show works with. Uh, to something that suits me more. Like when I first took over the gig, I basically had to be a carbon copy of my predecessor, who's a friend of mine named Q Robinson. Um, And just in the interest of the show and the comfort of the band and the cast and everybody, like there was a time when I just had to do what he did. Um, But after that, like I said, I got to sort of start fashioning things more to my own taste and my own identity.
1: Yeah. And so on a gig like that where you're reading it, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then how much are you still reading and how much are you like then after like playing it for three months, you must have some memorized. So it's like, does that change how you're following the chart?
0: Yes. And it's interesting you mentioned that because I, I feel like in the last week or two, I've i I've turned a corner as far as how much I'm looking at the chart. Um, there There are like, you know, this book, like most Broadway books is so specific, um, and so intentionally notated, um, that there, there, there are things that if I wasn't looking at the chart, I wouldn't remember to do. Um, like just this little open hi-hat there, or, you know, don't play a crash after that fill, (laughs) you know, like little tiny specific stuff like that. Um. But I'm finding myself, because, like, I'm reading on an iPad, right? And more and more, I'm finding myself, like, staring at the iPad, but not reading. And I'm realizing that it's just part of my muscle memory. Like, my eyes being pointed in that direction is just part of my overall body's muscle memory of playing this show. Um, So my next step is to, like recognize those moments and either like decide is is this a moment that I have to dig into the chart and pay attention and actually read or can I put my focus somewhere else either on the conductor or the uh the stage monitor or just close my eyes for a second and and just use my ears um so yeah it's it's an ongoing process with with how much I'm reading
1: Right. And let me ask you this because you were just pointing in front of you for the iPad is the iPad in front of you? Yes. How do you do that? Um, I have, and what uh, program are you using?
0: I'm using fourscore um, score. Yeah, it's just you know PDFs. Um, and uh, yeah, so like I'm playing a five piece kit, um, two up, one down, and the two toms are kind of offset because um, I like'm having I like having them a little further over to the left. Um, so the, um, this might be a little hard to visualize, but so I'm in a box, right? Like I'm in an ISO booth for this whole thing on the wall of the box is my stage monitor screen, which is like a computer sized screen. And that is fixed to the wall. Um, it can swivel, it can move a little bit, but like it's there. And then next to that, I have a conductor screen. So I, I kind of turned the kit sort of cockeyed inside the box. So the bass drum is pointing towards a corner, and that means that my shoulders are actually more square to the wall. So I've got a straight line from my throne to my snare to my high tom to my iPad. And that means I don't have to turn my head, I don't have to turn my body. The drum set, like I said, is, is you know turned about, I don't know, 20 degrees or so inside the box. Um, but yeah, I just I spend a lot of time staring straight ahead.
1: <laughs> right, and how do you flip pages to go to the next page?
0: I have a a, a Bluetooth um, page turner called the Air Turn Tap, um, and so Air Turn makes like the 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 pedal page turners, um, but they also for a couple years they made uh, what they called the Air Turn Tap, which is for drummers, and instead of pedals, it's two little pads, and you can mount it like wherever you want. I have it next to my hi hat. And there's you know page forward, page back, and you can just whack it with your stick.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So this is my problem always, like on a movie date, Mm -hmm. is that the chart is over here to my left, right? And sometimes these charts are twelve pages long, right? Right. And so you're literally looking behind you, trying to play and follow along like that. It's just like, like, why can't we figure out? Something better that it's in front of us somehow. Yeah, yeah. and, but and it would different. be hard to put all of that on an iPad. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe you could do it. Put all of what on an iPad? No, I guess you could have all the pages. But I mean, like they're just writing the score. Or like maybe you have to make changes to it. And- well, the, I mean, the great thing about Fourscore is
0: like it's it's interactive. You know, you you sort of upload whatever PDFs you're reading right. onto the program but then you can go in and like write on it you know with whether with your finger right. or with a stylus like you can do all kinds of shit to the chart once it's in four score you should see what i'm reading it's just it, it looks it's a bloodbath there's like red writing all <laughs> over these pdfs um Man. But yeah, it's it's been like I, I'm really cognizant of all things physical behind the kit these days and, and the ability to just keep my shoulders square, keep my head you know straight ahead. Um, I've got the iPad mounted on like a I have an, a boom arm coming off a cymbal stand and so there's an iPad holder attached to that and it just puts the iPad straight ahead in front of me. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, this, this would be a, a less enjoyable gig. <laughs> if
1: if that weren't the case yeah well thank you for letting me interview you oh yeah of course happy, yeah. to, <laughs> happy I mean, to talk about myself <laughs> what a what a cool i mean that seems like an extraordinary uh gig in the fact that like you're playing super cool music right mm-hmm. like yeah. songs i mean and if you love that style which you must yeah uh that would be like a dream.
0: Yeah. It's, it's really, I'm, I'm having a blast with it. And, you know, in the Broadway world in the musical theater world, um, these days you can find just about any type of music. Um, it's just, it's super diverse now. Um, and I'm looking around at other shows and some of them are like, you know, there's the jukebox musicals, which this show basically is, but it's sort of about a single band. It's the story of the temptations. Um, but you know, it, in the case of a uh, an original score, um, something like you know, dear Evan Hansen, or um, a chorus line, or whether it's old or new or yeah. whatever, like it's it's kind of a crapshoot as to whether or not that music is going to uh, be enjoyable for you to play. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm looking around at other shows, and it would be like, whoa, that would be a cool show to, show to play. If I was on that one, I think I might kill myself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. You know. yeah
0: um but yeah it's it's just a real a real treat to just play this music every day and like i said i'm still sort of acclimating i'm still really getting intimate with the show and the drumming and the music um but my, my whole point with that is like i've played so many other shows and like you get halfway through the second act and you're turning a page and you're like okay what number's next oh it's this one that i don't really like okay let's do it but with this show in the middle of the second act, I'm like, okay, what's next? Oh, another one of the greatest songs ever written. Okay, let's yeah. do it. <laughs> that, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, man. So, yeah, I'm in Spokane right now. Um, we're doing a few more Pacific Northwest cities and then home for two weeks. Um, and home home is Atlanta. So
1: Ah. Yeah. That's cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'd love to grab a coffee with you sometime.
0: Absolutely. Likewise, if yeah. I'm if I'm in LA or if you're coming through Atlanta or shit, yeah. I mean, we could we could be in the same city somewhere else yeah. <laughs> before too long. So yeah, let's keep in touch, man. Great talking with you.
1: Yeah. Same.
0: There you go. Victor Indrizzo. I love the way he's just thinking and feeling his way through music. Great talking with him. Incidentally, since we recorded this interview, his accolades were added to as Lizzo's About Damn Time which he recorded drums and percussion on, won the Grammy for Record of the Year. So congrats to him. Come on back next week for Matt Krause's interview. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and thanks for listening. Cheers.